chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. It is the fall, and I do love the fall. Um, I said to Ashley, I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday, one of those cool mornings, I said, if you could please just find an intravenous uh, pumpkin spice latte and just put it directly into my veins, that would be perfect. Uh, I love this season. Uh, Summer is fine. You know, it's good. Uh, Winter stinks. Let's all be honest. Spring is good, but fall is the best. And I say that even knowing that the Hawkeyes aren't going to play for three more weeks. So uh, it's good. It's good. It's good. Before we get into the message today, I do have two quick announcements. Next week is a big week for us at Grace Community. So uh, we have uh, kids' church, so we'll have child care available for everybody um, next week. So um, if you're watching online and you're uh, planning on being here next week, be sure to register your children uh, by Thursday of this week so that we can have a spot reserved for them and uh, materials printed up for them and ready to go. Uh, that would be really helpful for us if you would do that. And the second thing next week, after our second service, we're going to have a membership uh, informational meeting. Uh, that meeting is for anybody who is not a member at Grace Community Church and is interested in what membership is all about. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, and we hope uh, to see you at our membership meeting next week. All right? All right, all right, all right. Now, nearly everything we experience in our lives reinforces a kind of singular idea. And that idea is that approval is something that we have to earn. That approval is something that we earn. It, you know, this starts at a very early age, in fact. It probably begins in our homes with our families where we're taught that there are certain behavioral standards that we have to meet. Don't hit your sibling, right? Pick up your room. And for some of us, we learn this insidious little truth in our homes, not all of us, but some of us, that we are only worthy of approval or affection if we do the right stuff. We quickly learned that approval is derived from performance. 
And this notion just picks up and gathers steam as we leave the home and enter into the world. By kindergarten, we are being judged against a standard. My children's report cards uh, don't have A's, B's, and C's on them. They have a, a little, two little initials, with something like meets standard or, uh, or exceeds expectation or below standard. These are the kinds of things that we hear in junior high, you might have been told, like I was, that if you don't excel at math in seventh grade, well, you're not going to get into the right college and your life is ruined, right? At least this is what I was taught to believe. And for somebody like me who couldn't really read until the eighth grade, it was very discouraging. My life's not going to amount to anything. And this achievement that is involved in the academic aspects of our lives don't even begin to scratch the surface of what type of achievement we are instructed we must meet, what bar we have to, to jump in, in our, the social aspects of our lives, in sports, in relationships with the opposite sex, in popularity, or in my case, in the lack of popularity, an acute lack of popularity. Uh, it, it, it is hardwired into our brains that approval and love are earned. They're earned and almost never given. And as soon as we leave the home, it gets even worse, right? We get out into American life, where we are told that American life is a meritocracy, meaning that we have the freedom to achieve up to the merits of our ability, so work hard and pull yourself up, and then you will be enough. So what do we do? We hop into the rat race, don't we? We exert ourselves and we work, and we are subjected to quarterly or biannual reviews where we are either praised or corrected. We either measure up and advance or we do not. This is where the term dead-end job comes from, right? It's this idea that we have reached the end of our ability to achieve, and now we just kind of flounder in professional purgatory, right? When I run through all of these examples, it's not surprising that, our, that we live in a culture that teaches us that approval is something that we earn. Approval is something that we earn. Uh, and it's not surprising at all, then, that we struggle with the idea of grace, that we struggle with the idea of grace, the idea that the love and approval of God is something that is freely given and that we actually, in fact, cannot earn. That truth feels counterintuitive to the reality of our world. It really does. Maybe we have caught a slight glimpse of that type of love, of that type of grace from a parent or a friend or from a teacher, somebody who loved us and approved of us even though we didn't deserve it. They loved and approved of us for no real reason at all. But most of our experiences in this world, most of the encounters we have are about striving and straining, working to earn the approval of just about everything and everyone. And so if we are religious, if we have a faith of some kind, it is not surprising that we find all kinds of ways to turn religion into a similar experiment in, att in attempting to earn something from God. It's not surprising at all, in fact. It's not shocking. 
Actually, I think one of the things that Christianity most, must be most vigilant of is turning faith in Jesus into a kind of religious achievement program. This is what we're tempted to do. So much of what we often see as spiritual activity is really just an exercise in striving. It can turn that way. Moral conformity can become about the stuff I do to make God like me. Have any of you ever heard the word holiness, right? Holiness becomes about the things that I do so that God likes me or at least is not mad at me. Prayer meetings, something uh, that is good, can quickly turn from a kind of joyful experience in an encounter with the presence of God into a kind of religious gymnastics where we try and coerce God and we get him to do what we want him to do. And again, we could be forgiven for thinking this way because achievement for many of us is just baked into us. We just can't get away from it. And achievement feels safer than grace. Achievement actually feels safer than grace because we can control achievement, right? It's based on my effort. If I, I can do it, I can see it, I can be it, right? I can achieve it. But grace is not about achievement or control. Grace is about, well, grace. It's a free gift. Now, Jesus knows that we are tempted to not want to accept grace and rather to achieve. Jesus knows this about us. Jesus knows that we are predisposed to a posture of achieving and earning. Which is why all throughout the Gospels, Jesus is always teaching his disciples in a way that draws them away from the impulse to earn and towards the grace of God. Now, this truth is all over the New Testament, but I think it's specifically and maybe uh, very clearly stated in our teaching text for today out of John 15. Now, in John's Gospel, Jesus does some of his most important teaching right around the time of his crucifixion, actually. Specifically, John focuses nearly half of his gospel on the week of the Passion, the week where Jesus, from where Jesus enters into Jerusalem and leading up to the cross. Uh, now, in this passage today, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He's just received communion with them. He's just, they've eaten the Passover meal, and he's given them uh, the ordinance of communion. And after he does that, he begins teaching them, even though he knows full well that in just a short amount of time, he's going to be betrayed by Judas, and he's going to be handed over to the authorities to be crucified. And in this very intense time, what he teaches them to do, the thing that he leaves them with in this time, one of the most important, one of the most fervent teachings Jesus has for his disciples, the thing he teaches them to do is to abide. The translation we heard read this morning says remain, but most of us are probably more familiar with this idea in this passage in other translations where Jesus says, abide in me, abide in me. You see, and Jesus uses an image, he uses a picture in order to communicate what this abiding relationship with Jesus should look like. And the picture he uses is of a vineyard, of, of vines and the branches and the fruit that come off of a vine in a vineyard. And the, through this image, Jesus is going to communicate a kind of profound truth to his disciples and to us 
about his kingdom and his way of life and how it differs from the way of life that we normally want to live, this way of striving and earning everything that we get. Now, interestingly, in the Old Testament, this image, this picture of the vine and of a vineyard is an image that is often used to refer specifically to Israel, to the people of God that, are, that is Israel. The prophets often call Israel, or the people of God, the vine. They, they refer to them that way, both in Ezekiel, Isaiah, one place in Jeremiah. The prophets call Israel a vine. So part of what Jesus might be saying here is that God, through what Jesus is about to do, is doing a new thing. He is kind of redefining the people of God, only instead of being defined around this na national people, tend to, instead of being defined around the blood, right, of a people, a nationality, he is now redefining the people of God around himself, right? And that bit about cutting off branches and discarding them uh, may be a warning to the Jewish religious establishment that the old manner of things is coming to an end. And that now they can't cling to their, to, to their nationality as, as, as a means of safety, but now they have to be gathered around Jesus. He's the new one who defines who the people of God are. And so, in, but Jesus says something fascinating here, doesn't he, that kind of cuts against our regular uh, culture of earning. Jesus teaches us that the key to production in the kingdom of God is not to strive or to earn through force of effort. That's not how we produce in the kingdom of God. Rather, Jesus says the key to production and the key to joy in the kingdom of God is to abide in Him, to abide in Him. And he tries, and he, and he ties this idea of abiding. If you're wondering, what does the word abide mean? It's kind of an old word. He makes it clear in verse 10 when he says remain, that abiding is, like, is about remaining in his love. Remaining in his love. And the interesting thing is that, that for Jesus, this abiding in him, remaining connected to Jesus, is the key to fruitfulness. Is the key to a healthy production. So in the economy of the kingdom of God, the way you produce is to remain or to abide. And maybe it's obvious, but how different is that from the way that we are told our whole lives we produce in our culture? We work, we strain, we strive with all of our being to produce, right? That's how production gets done. Just watch any documentary about the growth of the United States. Essential to the American story is the story that everything is earned, right? Through hard work, through ingenuity. Especially those of us who are from the Midwest, right? You know why they call us the heartland? Not just because we're in the middle of the United States, but because we have taken this teaching to heart probably the most, right? That we have to, we have to fight, we have to claw, we have to scratch, right? We have to literally till up the ground and make something happen. Uh, and one of the things, and, and this gets down into us, you know, one of the things I am most scared of in life, one of the deep, most deep-seated fears I have, full disclosure, is that I'm not a hard enough worker. Does anybody ever resonate with that? I come home sometimes from work, and, and I will be nervous, and I will tell Ashley, I just don't think I worked hard enough today. 
And she'll look at me like, what are you talking about? And I'll say, I don't know. I just don't, I don't feel like I worked hard enough. There's this deep insecurity in my heart that maybe I haven't done enough that day, that maybe I haven't earned enough, that maybe I haven't attained enough through my effort. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a neuroses that we, some of us have. So to be a people who live in a culture like that and are laid down with those types of assumptions about earning and hard work, to, to hear what Jesus is saying about abiding sounds weird, sounds strange. Because how do I do abiding, right? How do I do it? Tell me, Nick, tell me how to do abiding and I'll do it, right? Like, what are the three steps I need to follow in order to, to abide well? How do I achieve the abiding merit badge, right? This is a good question. The, these, these words of Jesus are so different that we don't even really understand how to carry them out. It is about, and here's what I think it's about. It's about allowing ourselves to be loved and then to, to be loving in response to the love that we receive. This is what I think it's about. You know, one of the things that makes uh, a marriage really, really difficult, or any relationship really difficult, is when one or both of the people in the marriage don't know how to let, how to let their partner love them. They don't know how to receive love. Love is something that must be received. Receiving love is actually a kind of active posture. And there are all kinds of people who when they are genuinely loved by another, they recoil from it. They kind of turn their back on it or they walk away. Maybe because it makes them feel vulnerable. And just FYI, if love is genuine, it should make you feel vulnerable. It's a good thing. Or maybe because they've been wounded in a love relationship before, they're, they're not willing to open themselves or expose themselves to that, to that type of vulnerability. Possibly they aren't good at receiving love because, well, they simply don't view themselves as being lovable. They don't, they don't see themselves as deserving of love. And so, why so I would recoil or push away anyone who would want to love me. You, you see, in order to be happy in a healthy relationship, one of the things we need to learn how to do is to allow ourselves to be loved, actually to be vulnerable enough to receive the love of another. And I believe this is true in our relationships with Jesus as well. Abiding in Jesus is about taking an active posture of reception, of receiving the love of God, of, priorit of prioritizing in our own lives a kind of openness to the free gift of grace that is the love of God that comes to us in the person of Jesus. Of prioritizing in our lives the place of relationship with Jesus, knowing that every good thing that we can experience flows from that place of abiding in Him. Of being receptive to His love, of remaining connected to Him as a branch is connected to a vine in love. Now, some of you might have listened to the teaching text read today and thought to yourself, well, Nick, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, right? I don't know, because there is this whole thing about following commandments, right, in that passage. There's this thing about 
there's, there is, I do have to do some stuff to earn God's love. I do, there are some steps I have to take. There's a number of commandments that I need to follow. It's right there in the teaching text for today. And I would just, if you're asking that question, I would just direct your attention to verse 12 of chapter 15, where we hear this. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Well, shoot, right? Apparently, the only way to follow this commandment to love people is to first abide in Jesus, right? It's a bit of a catch-22. It's a bit of a circular argument. So Jesus says, you want to achieve, you want to be fruitful, learn to abide. Learn to rest in me. You know, to follow my commandments, to, to, which, the, which their highest goal is simply to love other people, you have to learn to abide in the love of God. Until you've learned to be loved, you can't love in return. And again, notice that we do absolutely nothing to, privilege, to, nothing to earn the privilege of abiding. But here's the thing. Jesus knows that we are wired to justify ourselves. Jesus knows this. He knows that striving is baked into our fallen nature. And the fact that we are invited simply to abide or to remain with Christ in an active, loving relationship with the creator of the universe, he knows that that fact makes us uncomfortable. And so he reiterates to us the fact that apart from me, you can do nothing. He just wants to make it clear, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, there's a question that raises in my heart when I hear Jesus say that. Really, Jesus, I can do nothing? I got a 401k, right? I built, I built a house. Not the one I live in now, but I've built a house in the past. In case you're impressed, you can come talk to me about it later, right? I don't know if you know this about me, uh, but in seventh grade, I made the intramural floor hockey all-star team, Right? It was an athletic feat that has never, ever been duplicated in the history of the world. LeBron's fourth titles got nothing on my seventh grade intramural floor hockey all-star team. See, Jesus reiterates this because abiding does not come naturally to us. Striving does, right? Striving does. Because even in the backs of our minds, we feel that it is our effort that makes us valuable. That's what we think. And this is no more true than when it comes to church and we begin to talk about this idea we talked about earlier, holiness. We might think that the grace of God is free, but holiness or purity or doing the right things, well, that's all on us, right? That's about effort. That's about making it happen. We are told that salvation is the free gift, but holiness is something we earn through hard work, right? You know, I grew up in, uh, in an expression of faith that was very healthy in many ways, but one of, the, one, of the, one of the ideas that I subconsciously kind of took into my heart was that holiness is about effort. It is about gritting my teeth. Not sinning is about gritting my teeth and doing the right things. But here's what that kind of moralism, that sin of moralism does. You see, moralism is this false belief that our striving, our, our effort, is what leads us to purity or holiness. But that belief usually just leads to a kind of cycle of sin in our lives. 
where we grit our teeth for a little while until we run out of the willpower that is required to not do the thing we don't want to do, and then we fall back into sin or difficulty. We fall back into that pattern of trying to work hard in order to avoid, right? It's kind of this binge and purge cycle that so many of us, the relationship that so many of us have with sin. And then, once we fall back into it after we've lost the willpower, what happens? We feel even worse about ourselves. Because here's the truth. You and I, we can't grit our teeth into holiness. We can't grit our teeth into fruitfulness. We can't produce our way into lasting joy. We can't strive our way out of discouragement. If Jesus is right, and I believe he is, the key to all of it is to abide. It's to remain. To get your life and your value out of a vital connection with him. This is, I think, the key. This is the key to a fruitful life, Jesus says. This is what it means to live in a vital connection to the vine, to the one who created and loves us. Now, so the question is, how do we do that, right? Practically, in the experience of our regular everyday life, how does that happen? And so, I do have three points for us today. I said earlier, I know I made fun of the fact that we might have three points to abiding, um, you're just going to have to deal with that. I'm a, I'm a preacher, so we have three points, all right? You can, you can take them for what they are. So here's the thing, and I think this is helpful for us. This isn't exactly how to abide, but at least practically, here's how abiding looks in my life, all right? So the first thing that I often need to do in this process of learning to abide is to relinquish the striving, Relinquish the striving. And by that I mean to actively release control of your life to the love of God in Christ Jesus. To actively do it. Maybe even to say it out loud if you need to. So very often this act of relinquishment looks like awareness. Awareness of what's happening on the inside of me. For me, it's when I am really anxious or when I'm frustrated or when I'm worried about my performance I need to remember in those moments Jesus' invitation to abiding and actively relinquish or lay down my efforts and my striving to turn aside from what I am doing and then attend to Jesus, to become aware of the love of God and to remind myself of the true power that, that propels my life and that it is not my effort that propels my life. It is the love and grace of God, and it is through vital connection to Jesus that my life yields fruit, that it produces. My life only produces through vital connection with Jesus, and if I'm not aware of what's happening around me and inside of me, if I'm not aware of the things that are making me anxious or frustrated or nervous, then I'll never be about the business of relinquishing that to Jesus very well. So, that's number one. Number two is kind of an outflow of number one. Receive Jesus' love as a pure gift. And by this I mean weave relationship with Jesus into the routine of your daily life. 
You know, you can't earn the love and grace of God. All you can do is receive it. And so the question is, how do we weave relationship with Jesus into the routine of our daily lives? I think part of the way we do that is through uh, spiritual disciplines, is through spending time in scripture and in prayer, through attending church, through being with people, through serving people, through, through giving, through actively laying down our lives for others. But here's what often happens in the church. Oftentimes, we reduce uh, the full picture of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus down to like 15 or 30 minutes of day where we read our Bibles and pray, right? And what happens when we reduce it to that point is that that activity of devotions become about earning, right? Because if I don't check that box every morning, then God's mad at me or I haven't achieved uh, everything I need to achieve, Rather than seeing my relationship with God, this invitation of Jesus to abide as a whole life thing. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm going to make a confession in front of the whole congregation. I had a child three weeks ago, three weeks and some change. If God's pleasure with me was based solely upon whether I got my devotionals in in the last three weeks, we'd be in trouble, right? And you would be in trouble too because your pastor would be a little off his game, right? I'd be in trouble, because I had a kid three weeks ago. But if it's not about checking the box, if it's not about earning, and it's about the, the, the fully orbed picture of my life, and my willingness to release my effort, and my will, and my earning, and simply be with Jesus, well then, you know, the devotional life, the checking of the box, kind of falls by the wayside. And what matters is time with Jesus. What matters is always time in the scriptures. I'm encouraging that, and it's important for us to do that and to have that be a natural part of our daily lives. But it's not about a box. It's not about earning. It's not about achieving. It is about being with Jesus and learning to weave relationship with Jesus into the regular routine of our lives is so much more than what we do for 15 or 30 minutes in the morning or at night. It is about learning the practice of turning aside from our anxiety and our effort and turning towards Jesus at moments that maybe we wouldn't naturally even do it. You know, I know people who have regular routine times in the scriptures who don't allow that time to transform them and are just as anxious and strive just as much and are just as angry as everybody else. So it's not the doing of a thing that makes the transformation, right, in our hearts. It's not, it's not simply the carrying out of a behavior that yields fruit in our lives. It is being with Jesus. It is being with Jesus, and we need to prioritize that even over and above the doing of stuff, all right? That's number two. Number three, we measure our success at abiding by the way we love others. We measure our success at abiding by the way we love others. Here's the secret. The success of your life is not measured by how much money you have. It's not, measure, it's not measured by how much security you have in your bank account. It's not determined by whether people view you as successful or not. The success of our lives is found in our attention to, the, to a vital connection to the love of God 
through our relationship with Jesus. It is not, uh, it is not our effort that produces fruit in our lives. It is not our uh, it is not our effort or our achieving that is the measure of our success at abiding. The thing that is a measure of our success at abiding in Christ is love. Jesus says, love one another. Follow my commandments. Love one another. If your practice, if your spiritual practice doesn't result in love for other people, it's not abiding in Christ. It's not abiding in Christ. It's only love that is the measure of our vital connection to Christ. You know, lately I've been doing this little experiment with anything I take in via social media or online or on Facebook, whatever podcasts I listen to. Before I do any of that, I've started asking myself a question. Uh, and here's the question. I, I ask, who is this asking me to love? Who is this asking me to love? If the thing, the media, the 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 article, the podcast, the, the news program, whatever it is that I'm taking in, if, the, if it's not, if it's asking me to do anything other than love someone, it's out the back door. I just don't have time for it. So if I'm tempted to read an article or listen to a podcast I, that I know is really asking me to disdain or despise some, I don't know, some particular political candidate or another, I get rid of it. I don't give it my time. I turn away from it. If it's a piece of media that is trying to make me afraid of a certain group of people, I don't give it my time. If it's something that is attempting to create an oppositional attitude in my heart, it might not be, uh, it might not be telling me to hate somebody, but it's definitely creating an us versus them, right? I don't participate. I don't participate. Because I know that the key to fruitfulness is abiding not in anger or resentment or in opposition. It's about abiding in the love of Jesus. That's what produces fruit. You see, abiding in those other things will produce something. It will produce something, but it won't produce good fruit. It won't produce love. It may produce cynicism. It may produce anger, fear. When it's fully born in us, it might even produce a kind of hate for people. But it won't produce love, will it? So I ask, who is this asking me to love? It's a great test. It's a great test. I would encourage you to put it into action as well. This test reminds me of point three. That's what it does. It reminds me that the measure of my success at abiding in Christ is my love for other people. That's what it reminds me of. Jesus does not want us striving for approval. He wants us abiding in his love. He does not want us working to justify ourselves. He does not want us measuring ourselves against any standard other than our willingness to abide with him, to be present with him, to remain with him, and to love other people. This is the only goal. This is the only standard. This is the only bar. But he knows inherently that we will naturally create other standards, other bars. We will naturally strive after other things. And so the effort of our lives needs to be put behind not doing things that, uh, that get God to like us, 
the effort of our lives shouldn't be put towards things that we can earn so that we can get the type of life that we want. The effort of our lives should be in the process of becoming more and more aware that God in Christ loves us. And it should be about turning away from those things that create striving inside of us and turning towards an active submission and love with Jesus. That's what it's about. It's a shift that we all need to continually make in our lives from striving to abiding. From striving to abiding. It's not something we do one time. It's not even something we do 15 times. It's something we constantly do throughout our lives as, as we live under the grace and love of God. We move from striving to abiding. And so this morning, here's what I would like to do. Would you stand with me this morning? I'd like to pray a very simple prayer for all of us. I would like to pray that God would make us people who abide in him, right? Just a really simple one. Would, would God help us by his spirit to be people who attend to our, to our relationship with Jesus, that we actively abide in him, that we learn to receive his love, and out of that posture of being with Jesus, of abiding with him, of turning away from our anxiety and turning towards Jesus, that it would cultivate fruit in our lives that is love for others, right? And that the, we'd see the kingdom of God grow in all these beautiful little ways as we love and serve those we come into contact with. You see, abiding with Jesus will root out bitterness. It will root out anger. It will root out oppositional relationships. It will root out even hate if any of that exists. And so we want to be a people who abide in Christ. All right? All right. So let's pray that simple prayer that he would make us people who abide. Father, um, we pray today that you would help us to abide that you would help us to remain in Jesus, that you would help us to, to know at all times that the love of God is streaming towards us in the person of Jesus, that the, that the free gift of God's grace is always available to us, that there is no time of day, there is no difficulty that we encounter, there is no struggle that we may be in the midst of that blocks us from the grace and love of Jesus. And so we pray this morning that you would help us to be a people who remember that the key to a fruitful life, the key to a joyful life, the key to a love-filled life is abiding, abiding in Jesus. And would you help us to do that this week? Would you give us reservoirs of awareness that allow us to turn away from our anxiety that allow us to turn away from our stress, that allow us to turn away from our striving and to turn towards Jesus. And we pray it this morning in that name, in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. All right. Well, thanks for being with us this morning at church. Uh, if you brought a gift, you can place it in the box on your way out. It's good to see you. We hope to see you next week. Go today in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a good day.